This morning we're turning to the book of Acts chapter 20. If you've got your Bible there or if you've memorized it, go to that place in your brain. Um, or maybe you didn't bring a Bible. It's coming up on the screen now. Acts 20 verse 35. Um, we've got this statement here. Paul's actually talking to some leaders at Ephesus. And he's talking about how he lived a life of generosity. He worked hard. Uh, he made enough money to meet his own needs and to give away. You'll read that in Acts 20. And he says, the reason I do this is because of what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In the Message Bible, it says you are far happier giving than getting. In the contemporary English version, it says more blessings come from giving than from receiving. Uh, this is one of Jesus' sayings that's not recorded in the four Gospels. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. At the end of John, John said, actually, Jesus said and did a lot of other things. We just couldn't fit it into this book. This is one of Jesus' sayings that's been passed on through what's called oral tradition. And so Jesus said it, it, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's almost like a beatitude. The word blessed means fortunate. It means happy. It means well off. It means to be envied. I remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed, blessed, blessed. Well, here's another blessed. You are more blessed. You are happier. You are better off in a giving mode than a receiving mode. It kind of sounds countercultural, doesn't it? It sounds unnatural. It's definitely opposite to the spirit of our age that kind of says, no, no, I'd rather be getting than giving. Uh, keep it coming my way. Jesus says, no, no, you're going to be happier. Life will go so much better when you break the selfish orientation in your life and develop a giving a stance. It's actually been proven by psychology. Um, there's a guy called Martin Seligman. He's one of the leaders of the modern uh, positive psychology movement. He has a best-selling book called Learned Optimism. It's a great book looking at renewing your mind to be more optimistic. And in that book, uh, he talks about lecturing in university on happiness, on joy, on positive feelings. And he gave his students two assignments. He said, this week, First of all, I want you to go out and do something pleasurable for yourself. Could be a hot fudge sundae if you're into sweets. Could be go see a movie. Could be go buy a new piece of clothing. Go and do something just for yourself this week and measure your emotions before you do it, during it, and afterwards. How many think that's a pretty cool assignment? Like that's really hard work for university. The second assignment, some of you would like to do that. Uh, the second assignment is... Go out and do something for someone else this week that has no benefit for yourself. Help an elderly person across the street. Go work in a soup kitchen. Go volunteer. Go and do something for someone else that has no direct benefit to you and record your emotions beforehand, during, and afterwards. So all the students went out. They came back the following week to report on their two assignments. Unanimously, all the students said when they did something pleasurable for themselves, their emotions went like this. There was a huge peak, a huge spike in positive emotion, and then a very quick drop off back to where they were. 
When you do something for yourself, there's a joy, there's a pleasure, but it fades really quickly. Unanimously on the second assignment, when they went to volunteer, when they went to help in a soup kitchen, when they helped someone else, their emotions started lifting before the experience. There was a high and then there was an afterglow. The good feelings lasted for hours, sometimes days afterwards. They could have saved their work on the assignment just by reading Acts 20.35. Jesus said, you're actually going to be happier. You'll have better positive emotions when you're in a giving mode than when you're in a receiving mode. So uh, a simple statement, very powerful. Um, How are we more blessed when we give than we receive? I've thought of three reasons. You might come up with some others and talk about them over lunch. But let me share with you a couple of ways that we are more blessed when we give than when we receive. Number one, coming up on the next slide. First of all, God is pleased. Notice I've got flowers up there, ladies. That's to remind all the men that you don't need to wait till next Mother's Day to buy flowers. Thank you for those two nods from some ladies here today. Uh, you can give flowers anytime. But first of all, God is pleased. See, see, the God we worship is a generous and a giving God. He gives us the breath that we breathe. He gives us his mercy every morning. Uh, he gives us health and strength. He's a giving God. Uh, sometimes we hear phrases like this, oh, well, God created us to worship him. Have you ever heard that? God created us to worship him? I actually haven't found that in the Bible. I think if God created us to worship him, how many think that would be a selfish reason? Like God's up in heaven and he's feeling a little down today. He's got a big hole in his heart. So he creates people and says, please sing me one more song so I'll get through the week. No, no. God didn't create us with the motive of I need people to worship me. That would be like me marrying my wife, Nicole, because I need someone to cook my meals, clean the house and wash my clothes. Not a good reason to get married, guys. Not a good reason to get married. No, I married Nicole because I love her, wanted to give myself to her, wanted a relationship with her, and guess what? I get some great meals. There are benefits. Work with me. There are benefits, but that's not the motive of getting married. Are you with me? Some elbows flying in the room here today. It's the same with God. God didn't create you because he wanted something from you. He created you to give himself to you. When you love him and worship him in return, yes, his heart is touched, but that wasn't his motive in creating you. Some of you are saying, where's that in the Bible? Good question. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't love the world so he can get something from it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Someone said if our greatest need was information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was forgiveness, which it is, he sent us a savior. And so God is a giving, generous God. And one of the reasons we're blessed when we give is we become like God. We, as his children, start to take on his nature. Uh, On to the next slide. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Paul is doing a bit of fundraising. Uh, There's some needs in Jerusalem. And so he's traveling through the churches in Corinth and 
areas like Galatia, and he's raising some money. He says, each of you should give what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure from some pastor behind a microphone. That's my translation. No, God loves a cheerful giver. God delights. God is pleased when we give. Why? Because we're becoming like him. When we give, we reflect the nature of God. The opposite is true. When we are stingy, when we're tight-fisted, when we're selfish, God is displeased because that's the opposite of the way he is in the core of his being. How many parents in the room? Come on, where's all the parents? You should know if you're a parent. Yeah, here's all the parents. Have you ever taken your little angel or angels to the Golden Arches restaurant, McDonald's, and, and, and bought them a Happy Meal? And you weren't hungry when you bought it. But as you sit down with them and you look at the meal and those hot, crispy fries, you suddenly feel a little hungry. And you reach out and you go, could daddy or mommy have a fry? And your little angel goes, no. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Are you laughing at me or with me? How do you feel in that moment? You know what I think? I think, I paid for those fries. And then I think, I don't need your fries. I got enough money to go buy all the fries I'll ever need. And then I think, while you live under my roof, I can make sure you never have a fry again. (laughs) Now, I don't say that, but that's what goes on in my mind. (laughs) That's what I think. You know what? When we're stingy and tight-fisted, I think that's how God kind of feels. See, here's the point of the story. God is the fry maker. God is the, guess where those fries came from? Come on, everything in your hand, God is the fry maker. And if you hang on to them, they're going to get soggy and cold. But I tell you what, if you share them and pass them on, he can cook up some more fries. Come on, God's the fry maker and he can keep getting fries to you if he can get fries through you. But if you stop the flow, he can stop getting them to you. God is pleased when we're generous because He's generous, He's giving. When we're tight-fisted, when we're not generous, it's the opposite of His nature. But when we open our hands and say, sure, Dad, sure, Mom, you can have some. When we're generous, God is pleased because it is exactly His nature. And so we can give of our time. We can give of our our, um, gifts and our talents. Thanks for all the volunteers here today helping out. And we can give finances. You know, the gospel's free, but it does cost money to get the good news out. And I think sometimes Christians forget this. Uh, at my last church, City Life Church, we put on a huge community event, big carnival, big festival, and uh, hundreds of people came in. It was a $2 coin donation. And what amazed me is all the Christians from our church were complaining, why are we charging $2? All the community people were saying, only $2? This is amazing. It's interesting the attitude. See, see, some Christians, not at Bayside, but in other churches, just expect everything for nothing. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone paid for the lunch. Come on, someone paid for the lunch. And so we want to be generous with our time, our talents, but also our finances. And in doing so, God is pleased. Number two, my second reflection is that other people are blessed when we give. So so not only is God blessed, but other people are blessed. 
Ever had someone buy you a gift for maybe a birthday or Christmas and you open it up? I mean, how do you feel? Someone's taken the time to think about what you like, to go look for that gift, to pay the money for it. You feel special. You feel loved. You feel valued. You feel appreciated. Well, when we give, that's what we do for other people. We help them feel appreciated. On to the next slide, 2 Corinthians 9, 12. Paul goes on and says, two things are going to happen because of your giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. They're going to be blessed. And as a result, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So, so giving touches God. It pleases God, but it also blesses and touches other people. Uh, at City Life, we used to have, in the middle of the year, um, an event called Christmas in July. We put on for all the staff and our key volunteers because how many know Christmas is a crazy season? There's so much happening. And so instead of having a staff Christmas party, we always, in July, would take a day, take them out to lunch, and just thank them for all their hard work. Before the lunch, we always did an activity. And I'll never, two of my favorite memories, one of them was we gave every staff member an envelope with $10 in it. And we said, we want you to go, get in your cars, and before lunch, go do a random act of kindness. You might go and just give that $10 to someone on the street. You might go some, buy some flowers. Uh, you, use your creativity, your imagination. But everyone, before you come to lunch, you've got to give away the $10. I'll tell you what, lunch was such a buzz because everyone was telling stories of what happened when they did a random act of kindness. You should have seen this lady. Uh, the, the energy in the room was way up here because we'd spent the morning thinking about how we could be a blessing to someone else. Uh, a few years after that, we had another morning, which was really creative. Our HR team put this together. And we, we, we got, they'd got five boxes of bicycles unassembled. And they divided the staff into five teams, very competitive staff, not like here at Bayside. And they blew the whistle and it was a race to see who could put the bike together first. Well, there was all this activity and people ripping instructions apart, groups stealing tools from another group, you know, good, healthy Christian competition. And, and, and so it went on and after about an hour, hour and a half, everyone had their bike together. There was a winner and, and it was a really, really fun morning. Unbeknownst to us as a staff, there was more happening than us just putting bicycles together. Uh, our HR director had contacted the local primary school and said to the principal, could you choose five year six students? We have a gift for them. And so just behind this room where we'd been putting these bikes together, there was the principal and five year six students with their parents who'd been invited to church midweek because there was a gift. They didn't know what the gift was. And so suddenly the door opened and in came these students. And I wish I could capture the moment. First of all, for the staff, they suddenly realized this bike is for somebody. <laughs> you know, we can easily get caught up in the details of what we do and forget why we're doing what we're doing. And when you see a face and you're reminded, that's why I'm doing this. How many know that affects how you do what you do? <laughs> Just a little PS here. We had a professional, professional bike putter together. Check all the bikes. We didn't want any wheels falling off. So, 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 but, but for the staff, there was this aha moment when you go, 
We were competing and doing our stuff, and now there's suddenly a face. It was a really powerful moment. But even more powerful was these year six kids who'd been yanked out of class going, what are we doing? Walking through that door and coming over to each group and each group saying, this is for you. I'll tell you what, priceless. And then we had helmets and water bottles and parents were gathering around. I wish you could bottle the, the, the moment, the feeling. One of the most moving stories is as we kind of, hey, John, this is for you. And there was one six, a year six boy, uh, and he, he had tears in his eyes. What, what's, what's going on? And he had been given a bike at Christmas time. And a month later, his bike was stolen. And his parents could not afford to replace the bike. Here we are five months later, some random day, some random church coming in through a door, and here's a bike for him. You cannot imagine the moment there for him and, and us, us as staff watching him and his parents ride off on that bicycle. You know, when you give, just can't quite describe the blessing, the impact that it has on other people. Jesus, we're told, went about doing good. <laughs> And you and I, as we leave this room today a little later, you know, as we go out to the week, we, we want to leave a trail of blessed people wherever we go. And we can do that in so many different ways. And so uh, Jesus says, you're happier. You'll be more blessed when you're giving than receiving. How? Well, God is pleased. Other people are blessed. And then number three, this is the surprise element. We actually get blessed. We get blessed. This, this baffles the rational mind. Obviously, the staff seeing the kids take those bikes touched our hearts. But, you know, even when you give financially, there's a blessing that comes into your world. So, see, when it comes to giving, and as I mentioned, there's a First Fruits offering coming up next weekend. Uh, when it comes to giving money, in our natural mind, we say this, when I give, I make a loss. That's how our natural mind works. I give, I make a loss. Let me, let, let me demonstrate this. Who's visiting today? Do, do we have any visitors here today, Steve? Any visitors? Yep. Um, up the back there. What's your name? David. Uh, Stuart, could you help me out? I've got a $50 bill here. Uh, I want you to take that up to the back and give it to David. Who else is visiting? Everyone's visiting now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm visiting. Uh, David, j just show Stuart where you are, David. David, that's for you. Uh, no, 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 yeah, uh, you, 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 the David, right there in the striped shirt. Excellent. There you go. That, that's for you, David. Um, want you to use that on yourself. You might want to go splurge a bit of lunch today or buy a T-shirt or whatever you want. Save it. Uh, but that is for you. Now, in the natural, you know what we think? Mark just had $50 reduced from his assets. I've had a loss or a debit. And what was your name again? David, David, this has been an expensive weekend. I've been giving money away at all the services. Uh, David, David just had a credit. And so David's assets have gone up $50. My assets have gone down $50. It's called double entry accounting. Uh, debits and credits. Technically, it's the opposite, but accountants, don't, don't mess with me. Let's just say debit and credit. And we think that way. When I put money in the offering, my assets went down. The church's assets just went up. But you know what? There's something supernatural that happens when we give. There's a third element to this transaction. When we give, we don't make a loss. We make a gain. We make a deposit in our heavenly bank account. 
Some of you are saying, Mark, where in the world is that? Well, let's look at Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Matthew 6, 19 to 24, Jesus talking, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves can break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. Where do you get a heavenly bank account? Which bank? Go down to the Commonwealth today and say, I'd like to open a heavenly bank account. They'll look at you and go, what kind of a strange person are you? Jesus says you can actually, by your generous living, store up or deposit treasures in heaven. Paul picks this up in Philippians 4. Next slide. A little bit of background. Paul had received some financial donations from the church at Philippi to help fund his ministry. And he's writing a letter to them. They'd given him time and time again. Look at verse 17. Not that I'm looking for your gifts. I desire that more be credited to your account. In the Greek, this is accounting, financial language. I'm not just looking for a gift from you. I'm not just trying to get money from you. I'm looking for what would be credited to your account. I've received more than enough. I'm supplied. He goes on to say, your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And how many have heard this scripture? And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Come on, we've all got that in our refrigerator, right? This promise has a premise. We like to quote the promise, but Paul's saying as you live generous lives, as you give, as you invest in God's work, you're making a deposit in your heavenly account and God's going to pay some interest, some dividends on your investment. Thank you for those two amens. There's something called triple entry accounting. I just gave David $50. I've had a debit. David's got a credit, hopefully. We're going to have a lot more visitors next week at church. You know, most churches are criticized for asking for money. At Bayside, they're giving money away. No pressure, whoever's preaching next weekend. But you think, it's Rob, is it? Okay. But, but you kind of think, I've had a debit, David's had a credit, but there's a third dimension. I've just made a deposit in my heavenly bank account. And I don't give in order to get, but I should give with the expectation that just like you sow, you'll eventually reap. Not immediately. I don't give today and say, well, I'm looking for my car tomorrow. God, where's my new car? No, this is not some prosperity gospel, but there's this expectation that when you give, you actually end up being blessed also. Another challenge in this area. Sometimes we think, I'll give when I've got a lot of money. <laughs> when I've got a surplus, when I make that million, then I'll give. I'll give when I can afford to give. But at the moment, I'm doing it tough. You know, God's wisdom says sometimes even when we're doing it tough, giving can be a response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Even small gifts matter to God. There's a story of a widow in Luke 21, and Jesus is at the temple standing by the treasury. They had offering baskets there, and Jesus is looking at what people are giving. I mean, isn't this rude? Imagine if all the pastors stood by the offering things and looked at what we gave. We don't do that at Bayside. But, but Jesus is looking as the offering's happening. And there's these rich people coming, dumping all their coins and their bags of money. And then a little widow comes up with one coin. And she drops it in. And he says to his disciples, hey, hey do you just, just see, see the wealthy people? 
They gave out of their abundance. Didn't really make a difference in their financial world. This widow actually gave more than them because she gave all that she had. What's remarkable about the story is that Jesus let her give. If Jesus was a pastor, you think he would have said, Hey, sweetie, they won't miss your coin. Just, just keep it. Just keep it. It's, it's really not going to matter. You think if Jesus loved this woman, he would have said, Don't bother. But see, Jesus understood that this woman was giving from a prompted, willing heart. She was giving sacrificially. And Jesus didn't stop her because he knew she had a heavenly father that was, who was watching over her. You see, small gifts matter to God. Small gifts can come from big hearts. Sometimes big gifts can come from small hearts. And so sometimes when we've got a little, we kind of think, well, you know, I can't really give. Maybe God's wanting you to give a widow's gift and see what God will do. Back in the Old Testament, there's another widow story, 1 Kings 17. And the economy is so bad, there's a famine, and there's this widow and her son. She has a bit of flour and a bit of oil, enough to make one more meal. Her genuine last supper is about to happen. There happens to be a prophet named Elijah staying with her, and he says, would you cook up that meal and make it for me? Think, can you see the headlines the next day? Traveling prophet eats widow's last meal. Like this is not very good PR. And yet what's amazing, this is a true prophet. This is not some manipulative traveling tele-evangelist just trying to get this woman's money. He's a true prophet from God who gives her a word. She cooks up her last meal. Think about this. This is her last meal and she gives it away. And the Bible tells us from that moment on, the jar of flour and the jar of oil, it never ran out till the famine was over. See, sometimes when we're actually in need, sometimes when we've just got a little, we think, oh, well, I don't need to give. What we need to say, God, are you wanting to do something miraculous? Maybe a small gift, maybe a sacrificial gift could actually release God's power and God's blessing into your life. This is not an encouragement to give irresponsibly, but it's an encouragement that we put our faith in God, not in money. The American dollar says, in God we trust. I think really the way our world works is in money we trust. No, we need to put our trust and our faith in God, not in money. Let's uh, wrap this up today with some promises from God's Word. Psalms 112 verse 5, the first one. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Notice the order. When you choose to be generous, when you lend freely, good is on its way. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Next slide. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. We've got a first fruits offering opportunity coming. Then, everyone say then. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is an agricultural society. I think what it should say is, when my barns are full, then I'll honor the Lord with a first fruits offering. No, it's the opposite way. You go first. You honor the Lord. You give generously. Then God's going to fill your barns to overflowing. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, one person gives freely. They share the fries. <laughs> sure, Dad. Sure, Mom. And they gain even more. Well, another withholds unduly and ends up coming to poverty. A generous person will prosper. When you refresh others, guess what? You're going to be refreshed. 
Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Jesus said, will be poured into your lap. With the amount you give, so will be the amount that comes and flows into your life. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, one more. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Our final slide coming up right now. Very simple. Jesus says, you're actually going to be happier. You're going to be better off when you're in a giving mode than a receiving mode. How is that? Well, God is pleased because we become just like him. Other people are going to be blessed. And you'll hear some stories in a moment of some of the impact of last year's First Roots offering. And then thirdly, the surprise element, when you give, when you're generous, I tell you what, you will, not might, you also will be blessed. And so I pray that that is an encouragement to you today. Uh, the Bayside First Roots offering, as I mentioned, has some great causes locally and overseas and uh, some creative ways that you might pray about giving this year. Uh, you could give of what you have. Maybe you've got some savings and you go, wow, I've got some money saved up. I think I could give that. But sometimes we don't have anything saved and we go, well, I can't give. Well, we may be able to earn a bit more money. Maybe a couple of days overtime or a few extra hours. We earn a bit of extra money and we could give that. Or we could sell something we own. You know, one of the fastest growing businesses in Australia is the self-storage industry. You know why? Because our double garages aren't big enough for a lot of the stuff we have. Well, maybe you've got some stuff you're not using you could sell. Anyone heard of ebay.com.au? Anyone heard of Gumtree? Maybe you go home today and just go, you know, I haven't used that for ages. Maybe you could sell something and then give those proceeds. This happened in the book of Acts. Remember Barnabas? Anyone heard of Barnabas? He had a block of land. He goes, I don't need this block of land. He sold the block of land and he came and gave the resources for the work of God through the church. So maybe God's prompting you to sell something. Not, don't sell someone else's stuff, only your own stuff. <laughs> sell something. Anyone heard that little phrase, one person's trash is another person's treasure? Maybe something that you really don't need anymore could be a blessing to someone else, and there's a bit of money there to give. Or you could reduce your expenses and give of some of those funds. I guarantee there's some people in the room, you've got a subscription or a membership, and you're not even using it. And you go, you know what? I'm paying for this. I haven't used it in ages. Maybe I'll cancel that subscription. I'm not naming any companies here. I'll cancel that subscription, and then I've got some money that I can give. There's so many different creative ways to give to God's work. And so no one has to give. This is not a church of pressure, but I think everyone should consider giving. Uh, pray about it. Prepare for next week's First Fruit offering. If you're married, pray about what you should give. If you come up with different figures, take the higher figure or add the figures together. Only teasing you. Not really. And so I reckon, you know what, if we all do our part, we'll be amazed at what we'll see raised this year and the impact that Bayside can have on this community and beyond. Everyone said amen.